And so all this wisdom that, that Solomon kind of put out there is what makes up much of Proverbs. Here's the interesting thing about wisdom literature. is uh, Wisdom literature is this. So Proverbs, uh, a couple other books, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, makes up this thing called wisdom literature. What wisdom literature does in the Bible is it gives us general statements about life that are generally true. So it's not like when, when the Bible says, Jesus saves. Man, Jesus always saves. That is always true. That is absolutely the case. Sometimes in wisdom literature, it says something like, raise, your child up, raise a child up in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. And sometimes you raise children up in the way that they should go, and before they even get old, they're totally away from it, right? And sometimes that's reality. But wisdom literature says, these things will generally be true. I know that generally speaking... If I were to cook dinner, take out the garbage, and, um, you know, put my clothes up off the, off the floor and put them in a dirty clothes hamper, do some laundry, you know, and not just put them in the dryer or wash it and forget to put them in the dryer, like, do the whole thing. If I take care of all those things, and generally, my wife will appreciate me and be happy. But every now and then, I can do all of those things, and for some reason, unbeknownst to me, my wife is still not happy. You get what I'm saying? That's what wisdom literature is saying. Generally, when you do this, this will happen. But it's not guaranteed. It's just kind of a general statement. That's what we find in Proverbs. Um, Proverbs 27, 17. I cannot go here without looking at 15. And I did 15 and 16. I didn't put it up there. So if you didn't bring your Bible, you don't get to enjoy that. But um, you can look at it later. But he's talking to his wife about his wife here. And I got to think Solomon's wife was probably pretty frustrated with him all the time. And I think that she probably saw that verse and was like, really, seriously, you're going to put that in there? And he was like, see, quarrelsome. That's exactly why I'm putting it in there. But anyway, look it up later. Proverbs 27, 15. But here we go, 15 and 16, he's talking about his wife. And then in verse 17, he says this. He says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I'll read it to you again. Proverbs 27, 17. Maybe you heard this before. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. God, we praise you for your word. And we just praise you for this wealth of wisdom that we get uh, in your word. And so, God, I just pray that, that you would speak to us through it today. Amen. Uh, this, is, this is really interesting, this particular statement, because if you remember, you know, some of us way back, and some of us, we never remember it at all. But if you remember from history, uh, there were all these different ages that you study when you're in history class, and one was called the Iron Age, right? Anybody remember that? Show of hands. It was like, I'm not looking dumb. I remember that. Yeah. So the Iron Age, uh, this book... Uh, Proverbs, when he was writing this, was in the middle of the Iron Age, right? So when he puts this statement out there, these people are, are just beginning to learn about iron. They're making uh, tools out of iron. They're making, uh, they're making weapons out of iron. And so this really hits home. Like, they really get what he's talking about. But here's the thing about iron. It's in its really early stages. They're not, they're not great at shaping tools yet. They're not great at making it yet. And so it has all these impurities. So when they make it, it doesn't come out totally perfect. It's got all these kind of issues with it. So what they would do is they would, they would make, a, make a sword or something out of a real soft iron. And then they would make, make sort of a harder iron. And what they would do is they would take them and they would kind of rub them together, right? Rub the sides together. And, uh, and what that would do is the harder iron would, would remove the impurities off the edge of the blade. And so as it removes the impurities off the edge of the blade, the softer, they both get sharper, but really the softer iron gets really sharp. 
And so what he's saying is, in the same way that, that, that one piece of iron makes another piece of iron sharp, so that's what we do for one another, right? We, we, we slowly, we, we work in each other's lives, and we spend time with one another, and we, re, we help one another remove those impurities, and we make one another sharp. I think if there's one initial takeaway from this, for me, it is absolutely that you will get dull. I don't mean your personality, you know, I'm not going to speak to that, right? But you will, at some point, get dull. Here's the truth. If you've ever had any set of knives, you know that after you cut with them for a little bit of time, uh, they're not very good, like after a while. And if you don't sharpen them, and who actually sharpens their kitchen knives anymore? But if you don't sharpen them, then after some period of time, you're going to need some new ones. Because if you use things and you spend time with them, eventually they're going to get dull. When Jess and I got married... You know, you register for all the stuff you think you may need. Um, and we got this uh, this cutting block, and it was that and the toaster were like the nicest things in our whole kitchen. And um, so those were on display. We got this cutting block. It's got these wood knives. They look beautiful, you know. The cutting block is still in the kitchen, but now it's got some of those wood knives, and then it's got some silver knives in there, and then it's got some black knives in there. And whatever that little round thing was is long gone. I had no idea what that was forever. And it's probably got a butter knife and a fork or something. But the thing is totally different than it used to be because, uh, we use those things. We put them in the dishwasher, even though it says don't, you know. And, and over time, they got dull. And they just wouldn't cut anything anymore. And so the truth is, very, very simply, if you use something, it gets dull. And if you don't spend time sharpening it, it continues to get dull until it's not useful anymore. And we are the exact same way. If we just assume that something we did a long time ago or our church every now and then is enough to keep us sharp... Man, we're totally wrong because things that get used, right, and things that are out there every day absolutely get dull. You see some people, and you can think of people, right, that at one point in time they had some things together. Maybe they were spending some time in church, and maybe they were really excited about their faith. But over some period of time, they went from leading their families well and loving well and doing those kind of things. And then, and then you know them later, and they're in a totally different place. And it happens for any number of reasons, right? And, and sometimes it's the church. And sometimes they begin to just disengage themselves from church. And for legitimate and non-legitimate reasons. And, and, and what happens when people do that, and, and if you've been there, what happens is you look at yourself and, and you just think, how did I get here? You know, like it wasn't that long ago that I wasn't, I wasn't dull like this. But now I'm right back where I started. And now I'm right back with the bad habits, you know, and I'm right back with all the things that I don't like about me. And I'm right back there. And it's because we assumed that we would never get dull. And we assumed that we wouldn't need to be sharpened. Sometimes these things happen right under our noses. Sometimes somebody, sometimes somebody doesn't leave the church at all, right? But instead they're involved in the life of the church, but some things they keep to themselves. And some things are totally secret. And some things, some pieces of their life, they don't share with everybody else. And, and maybe because they're ashamed or maybe because they just want to, they just want it. And they don't want to hear what everybody else has to say about it. And we just keep those things to ourselves and we hide them. And, and, and what we do is we just, we just get dull. We keep those things to ourselves and we don't allow other people to speak into our lives. And just like a soldier with a dull sword is initially somewhat less effective and eventually he probably gets killed because he's got this dull sword, a dull Christian slowly eases into self-destruction. 
and slowly gets worse and worse. And there's more and more self-destructive patterns and self-destructive behavior when we think that we don't need to be sharpened. So what on earth do we do? Here's what I encourage you to do. Find someone with whom you can be honest. Find someone in the church with whom you can be honest, with whom you can tell your struggles to. Uh, Here's what I would say don't do. Don't decide to confide in, in a sin encourager. You know, so when you go to them and you say, you know what, last night I got drunk and passed out on the bar of the floor and I woke up somewhere I'd never been before, you know, and they're like, high five for good times, you know, um, find someone who says, uh, hey, bro, that's not very good. You know, that was probably not very wise. And how about um, before that happens, you know, why don't we go have some coffee and talk about what's really going on? You know, you don't have to be stumbling around to have a good time or, you know, whatever you're whatever you're trying to mask with all this. You know, let's talk about that. Somebody who's encouraging you to do something different. Put that person in your life. And it's not super easy to find someone who is that for you, but spend some time doing that. Because here's the truth. When we're honest with someone, with anyone, when we're honest, we get better. And when we can be honest with people, that's when we get sharper. In high school, uh, we had this thing... um, uh, it was called First Priority, and one of the weeks was called an Accountability Week. So it was like this kind of Christian gathering. It happened at school, and in our Accountability Week, we had these people that would come say, hey, you know, you need an accountability partner or somebody that when you're struggling, you go to, you tell them what's going on, you know, that kind of thing. So um, so they told us to get these accountability partners. So me and a friend of mine, it was like a, you know, it was like a teenager trying to ask a girl out, you know, I was like, will you be my accountability partner, you know, and he said yes, and so, so we began to do this together, you know, and, and we're not telling each other anything, you know, because we're just, we don't, no, we don't really want to do it, you know, but, you know, I talked to him on the phone, you know, what's going on, I, you know, I'm struggling in math class, me too, you know, and so we're trying to share with one another, but not really sharing any kind of real stuff. We do this for a while, and uh, and and then pretty soon it, it was it wasn't long after you know we were kind of doing this every now and then every few months we'd ask each other how the other was doing, and uh, and and it wasn't long that I found out that uh, he'd went to this big party and he got really drunk and then his girlfriend was pregnant, and I was like man last week you told me your biggest struggle was math class you know like clearly you know there are other things going on and 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 the whole problem with the whole thing is. If you don't find someone with whom you can be honest, then the whole thing is for nothing. And clearly, I had a lot of struggles that I wasn't sharing with him. Mine just didn't become so public. And he had a lot of struggles that he clearly wasn't sharing with me, right? And if you try to invest in someone who you can't be honest with, it's not much good for you. Find someone with whom you can be honest and then do this. And then just begin to sharpen one another. One thing that, that uh, about sharpening blades and about any kind of blacksmith thing, and I read some things this week, and I read way more than I needed to know to preach here, but it just became interesting to me, is that this takes a long time. You know, when you're sharpening these blades, it was a really slow job. And, and, and as you began to do it, it would take hours, you know. If a soldier would bring in a blade and it would be really chipped and really dull, and it would take hours to just continue to, you know, to rub those blades together to get it sharp again and get it usable again. And I think that's pretty applicable here is that, uh, man, this is a long process of sharpening one another. We try to do this a little bit if you've been to small groups. We just kind of begin to implement this. And maybe it's still in the awkward stage, right? But it's beginning to kind of before we begin jumping into the scripture or the text or whatever we got that week is just sharing with one another. 
and just trying to spend some time being honest and sharpening one another. Because here's another truth for you. When you and I are accountable to one another, that's when we do better. When we're accountable to one another, that's when we do better. Just like when we're honest, we get better, right? We feel better, we're on a better track. When we're accountable to one another, we begin to do better. And this is true in every aspect. Any of you guys work at a computer? You know that um, one of your biggest goals is positioning your computer so that no one can see your screen, right? So that you can shop online or whatever you want to do, you know, and then nobody can really find out. And when you get placed in an office where everybody can see you, you don't feel like you can complain because everybody can see that you're shopping, you know? So you find some other reason to be like, you know, I'm distracted out here or something like that, right? So when people can see your screen, you're accountable, and then you actually have to at least pretend like you're getting some work done, right? Because when we're accountable, we tend to do better. Anybody get that 3 o'clock fatigue at work? Anybody else get that? Man, 3 o'clock comes, and it's like the middle of the night for me. You know, I just, I've got to take some kind of a nap. And if, if 3 o'clock happens to roll around and nobody else is in the building, man, it is so tempting to just put my head down for a minute. And, you know, and sometimes I look probably like I'm dead, face down on the desk, you know. Um, but, man, it is so tempting at 3 o'clock to just put my head down. But if somebody's there and somebody's in the building, you know, I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to power through. I'm going to get another cup of coffee. And I'm going to feel way better at 5 o'clock that I got things done. Because when people are around and when I'm accountable, I just tend to do better. I mean, it works in every piece of our life. If someone is praying for us, someone cares about what we do, somebody's asking us, we feel like we're going to have to answer to someone. We get better and we live better and it positively shapes our character. And consistently we do better when there's someone holding us accountable. You need to know, I need to know, that you will get dull. You absolutely will get dull and you've got to find someone or a group of people and you've got to let them in. And you can't just have some people that you see every now and then and let and that be enough because, man, there are plenty of people in the life of the church, pastor friends of mine that have went down terrible roads because even though they were around church people all the time, they didn't let anybody in. And they go down this road and they get dull and they look up long from now and they go, how did I get here? And it's because they didn't let anybody in. You will get dull. Find people around you. Let them in. Share your struggles with them. Let them share their struggles with you. And so begin to sharpen one another. As we kind of wind up this series and, and we kind of wind up today, I want you to know that, that there is value for you, whether you follow Jesus or not, in this idea, right? And this idea of putting people around you and this idea of not doing things together, there, because there's value in good moral character. And no matter what you do in the long run, not every moment of your life, but in the long run, it's better to have people around you than not have people around you. I want you to know that it is absolutely true. But I also want to be clear, for those of you that don't follow Jesus, or those of you that have someone in your brain that you're like, I wish so-and-so was here. Which, by the way, stop wishing someone else was here. It's probably more for you than them anyway. But let's say that person's on your mind, and, and you just keep thinking about them. For them, I want you to know that there is one thing that we all need more than any good shaping of our moral character, and that is absolutely Jesus. Because great moral character does not make you a child of God. 
and great moral character doesn't solve the biggest problem that you have. And much more than you need a good life here on earth, man, you need eternal security. And you need to know that in the darkest time that you're going through, that in the end, when it's all said and done, it does get better. And, and, and then when everything is falling apart, everything, even though it may seem terrible, you are on track for something great. And that is eternity with Jesus. If, um, if that family member or that friend that you're thinking of doesn't know Jesus, I would say to you, worry much less about their character. Man, we spent a lot of time in the church just turning a lot of people off to the church because we just kept telling people, stop doing this, stop doing that. That's not very good. You should stop doing that. And instead of telling people about Jesus, we just told them about all the things that they were doing wrong. And, and I'm saying that there's value if your children are doing something wrong, right? Be like, hey, that's not very good. But there is so much more value in telling people about Jesus than there is in about telling them about all the things that they're doing wrong. Begin to care more about someone's eternal security than you care about their moral character. And then I would say to you, and I would say to those people that you know, right, that you wish were here and you want to hear all the stuff, right? I would say that if there's never a time that you or that they followed after Jesus and said, absolutely, I follow after you, Jesus. I used to follow sin. That used to be my main thing. But now I follow after you and never said, I recognize that Jesus is Savior and I recognize Jesus is my Savior. And I say, man, absolutely today, tell Jesus, man, I follow you and you are my Savior because you have no need, no moral need no sense of being alone, nothing else that you can imagine, no matter how great your problems are, you have no need greater than Jesus. And the people in your life that you think about have no need greater than Jesus. Let me pray. God, I praise you for this morning. God, I praise you for the truth that you don't put us on this earth to do things all by ourselves. And God, I praise you that you put church family around us and you put people around us and you say, rely on these people. I gave them to you for a purpose and it is absolutely to make you better. And so, God, I pray that we would be people who put people in our lives that make us better. And, God, I pray for people that I love dearly that don't follow you. God, I pray that you would impact their hearts in such an incredible way that they would know that the biggest thing that they need is you. And, God, I pray that I would be faithful to tell people that the biggest thing that they need is you, knowing that it is the best thing that I can do for them. And if I have real love and real concern for people, then that's what I'll tell them. And God, I pray that I'll be all about that. Jesus, as we take communion, I pray that you would impact our hearts and our minds, the things that we should do, and that we would decide to do them. Amen. As music begins played, come on up, take communion.